Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. Um, during worship, the Lord dropped John 14, 6 into my heart. And I said, that's a familiar portion of Scripture. And so I went to it and says, um, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, and it's, not a, it's not a trick question or trick whatever. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so if you, if you just randomly just went through the Gospel of John, you will see over and over and over again, where Jesus is, is pointing to the Father. And he came to reveal the Father. And I think it was Jack, uh, Jack Deere, one of those well-known theologians, um, before his passing recently, said that he came into the revelation of the Father probably, I don't know, 10 years before he passed. And he said, he has this kind of famous quote saying that um, for so many years, I got stuck on the way, never understanding that the way was to be led to the Father. And so um, today, I want to do something a little different. I actually, you know, I get kind of spontaneous during worship, and then the Lord drops things into my heart during worship, and then I take a risk. Is that cool? And I was trying to get Kenny up on the keyboards, and um, he's not here. So then I'm asking, am I supposed to do this? And I feel like the Holy Spirit saying, yes. And then maybe I can have Angel, if you can just play some uh, mellow, instrumental, soaking music. Is that cool? All right. Are you guys ready? Okay. So here's what I want to do. I want to take about five minutes on the front end, and I want you to, um, I'm going to have you close your eyes, and I'm going to um, have you kind of visualize you going into the living room in heaven. And the Father is, is sitting there expecting you to come. And when you walk into the room, I want you to ask the Father this simple question. Father, what do you think about me? And what do you feel about me? Just ask him that question and see what he does. Here comes Kenny. Kenny, man, you got to be up there in five seconds, man. Four, three. So I do my grandkids. All right, two, one. All right. They move faster for some reason. They say you should never count down, but I do. I do. You know, it's like do this. One, two, okay, three, two. Okay, good job. All right, that's your assignment this morning. Can we do that for five minutes? I believe that the, or maybe a few minutes, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to take you into or on and into a journey with the Father's heart.
And I just want you to be honest, and I want you to be open, because um, we're going to take a little time, and I want to talk to you out of whatever, John 14, that's it, John 14 this morning. So can we do that? If you're not used to it, get used to it for five minutes. All right? So I just want you to take a moment. I want you to, if you would, just close your eyes. And now I want you to begin to step into the living room of heaven. Now, I'm saying that a little differently than the throne room of heaven because I think the Father is warm and I think he's, he's waiting for his sons and daughters to approach him. And so as you approach him, just simply ask the Father, what do you think about me? What do you want to say to me? How do you feel about me? And then let him just speak to you. Can we do that? All right. I got the counter. Let's go about three or four minutes. So I'm going to go offline and let you just um, have the Father minister to you.
Now, you, for just for a moment, would you just um, so this it's important what it is how how you approach the Father, right? Did you come near? Did you stay at a distance? Did you sit next to him? Did you sit on his lap? Did you stand by the door? Did you were you hesitant? Were you resistant? Were you because see, theology is great. Understanding the word is fine with our mind, but it's it's really when it gets down to the heart level that it matters. And so, what I want for you to do, what, what I would love for you to do, just for the next moment, is that the Father is going to stand up and he's going to he's going to he's going to draw you near. He's going to call you near, and he just wants to embrace you. Would you just allow him to do that? Go ahead. And he wants to say something to you in the embrace. What does he say to you? You know, for some, it's, um, we might be thinking, but Father, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've messed up my life. I just feel like I, it's really hard for me to approach you. And I just want to encourage you, the Father says, come anyway. For some, it's, you're, you're really tired. And for the, the Father would just say, you don't have to perform anymore. We just come here and rest. Because before him, it's not performance-based. It's not based on our merit. It's not based on anything that we've, we've done. It's just pure love. It's pure acceptance. pretty convinced that in the in the let's just call it the church world that we're pretty we're pretty hard on ourselves and sometimes we're our own worst enemy and the father just just wants us to draw near I mean Jesus said it right come to me all you who are weak and heavy laden and I'll give you rest that's the promise the promise is rest You see, we get our identity from the Father. 
He's the one who calls out your gifts. He's the one who sees your potential. He's a good father. Amen? Amen. How you guys feeling? You guys feeling all right? You want to stay there for a little longer? Don't fall asleep. I saw some people, their jaws I'm not going to name who, but I saw you. Maybe the Lord was feeding you. you know. All right. Kenny, you can just keep playing. This is great, man. Take your Bibles, turn to John 14. And uh, I want to look at verses 15 through 18, and I really want to focus on verse 18. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And we know that's the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What an interesting statement that is. The Passion Translation in verse 18 says, I promise that I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans. I will come back to you. So when Jesus was talking just in context, he wasn't talking to a group of orphans. He was talking to his disciples, and we know the disciples had parents, and the, the sons of thunder and had the mom, and, you know, the, she was like, who's going to be the greatest? And so, so Jesus is talking here about being spiritually orphaned. And so let me just, there you go, bless him in the name of Jesus. I believe that, and I'll just submit it to you, I believe that the, that the Father sees the whole human race as orphaned. He sees them as fatherless, who don't know their source, nor they, do they know their identity. Obviously, for those of, of us who know Jesus, we're no longer orphaned. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us, and this is the whole idea of sonship. If we say amen to that, all right. And I also believe that Lucifer or Satan or that we see in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 was really the first orphan spirit where he made a choice to live independently from, from the Father. And we know the story of Lucifer, which I'll get to in a few moments. James Jordan, who's kind of the leader of really one of the voices um, regarding the theology of the Father heart, says this. Let me just quote it to you. When this perspective dawned on, on me, I felt for the first time in my life that I began to understand the basic problem of humanity. The basic problem, not only of our individual struggles, but also the struggles that we have in relationship with each other. The basic problem of church life, the friction between denominations, 
family disputes, and even the wars between nations, I suddenly saw the root problem of humanity's struggle on the earth throughout history. It was a complete paradigm shift. Someone said to me once, James, you seem to think that the Father's love is the answer to every problem in humanity. I believe that with all my heart because every problem has its foundation in the fact that Adam and Eve lost their place in Eden, lost their place in the Father experientially loving them. When that happened, the human race fell from God's total provision and lost intimate fellowship with him. So the human race is orphaned, fatherless, without a home. They know little of what true love really is, our true purpose, our belonging, safety, significance, security, and communion with the Lord. And Adam and Eve no longer saw God's face after they fell, continuing, hear, or continuing to hear his voice or feeling his love or experiencing his presence in abiding in his pleasure. So what the world believes and what God believes, what the world's design is and what God's design is, are actually two different things. And let me submit them to you this, this morning. I think it's still morning. No, it's not. It's the afternoon. The world system believes they have to do something in order to have something so they can be something. Those who are away from Jesus, even those that are in the, the house of the Lord who are actually orphaned in their heart, feel like they have to do something in order to have something so they can be something. In God's design, one, we are something, so we have something, and then we can do anything. The orphan heart follows the same faulty design. You have to do something to be rewarded and have something to be something. But in God's design, we are something. That's a, that comes out of a place of identity. We are something, and as a result, we have something, or we have literally everything, and then we do anything. Let me kind of break that down for you. Having a heart of sonship means that we are in covenant relationship with the Father because we are sons and daughters. And because we are sons and daughters, we have an inheritance. And with that inheritance, we can fulfill our assignment, our destiny. So first, we're, we are something and then through our inheritance in Christ, we have something, and out of that inheritance, we do something. The world flips it completely. In order to be somebody, you have to do something. In order to be somebody, you have to do something to have something to actually just, all you have to do is glance over the horizon of all the sports, all these, you know, and there's, and so what we've, what we've done is we made the achievement, 
the, the doing actually becomes who we are. It's part of our identity. So if I were to ask you who you are, most men will point to their work. I'm an architect. I'm an engineer. No, you're not. You're a son and you're a daughter. Most women might want to point to their families or their career. But that's not, that's all secondary. The, the primary thing is you are a son and daughter of the living God. And out of that, you have an inheritance. And from there, we actually fulfill and do our assignment. The difference between religion and relationship is the difference between orphanness and sonship. Doing to have in order to be a religion orphaned heart or being having then doing sonship. When Adam and Eve sinned, we willfully stepped away from the father's heart and love. Adam and Eve were banished outside of the garden, fatherless, orphaned, and this has been, not only was it their plight, but it was, it's our plight as well because we're born with a sinful nature that resists God. Sin actually separates us from our Father, who's our source, and he's also the foundation for our identity. Are you guys there? Adam and Eve, let's just take a look at Adam and Eve. They were created in God's image and his likeness. They are the father's son and daughter. They have fellowship with God and everything else as a result of his creation. So they, they started with who they are. They had fellowship with God. They, had, they were drawing from the in, inheritance and then they got their assignment. And their assignment was to take dominion, to care for the garden, to literally expand the garden, to be fruitful and multiply. What happened with the fall? Everything got reversed. It started with Adam and Eve doing what God had forbidden. So they started with doing something in order to have something, somehow something that God was withholding in order to be like God. So they started with doing something to have something to be something. The original creation was, you are something, you have something. Can you imagine fellowship with God, walking in the garden with the Father, like supreme love? You have something in order to actually do something, and that is to have dominion. In the kingdom, it all starts with identity and flows into our assignment. But the world system that we live in, this is where it gets really confusing because it's in our education system, it's in the business world, it's you do something in order to have something in order to be somebody. But that's not how it flows in the kingdom. And what happens is that we have a world that's, that's striving to be something by doing something. It's works-based. It's actually reaching up to God. It's a religious-based culture that was actually brought in by Satan. Let's take a look at Lucifer. 
Don't have time to dig into it. Isaiah 14, Isaiah 28. Lucifer was created by God and was in many ways the Father's most beautiful creatures. Lucifer had fellowship with the Father. And like all of God's creative, he had a creative purpose. Some people called him the worship leader of heaven. And, but he had an assignment. But his assignment came out of his creation. When he fell, Lucifer would then lead a rebellion against the Father and trying to usurp God's authority. He tried to do something. Lucifer wanted to have more authority and more power to have something with the goal to be like God. So he tried to climb the ladder. He tried to usurp God's... I don't even know how that actually works when you really think about it. How can the, how can the created usurp the uncreated? I don't know, but I'll, that's one of the questions I'm going to ask, you know? Like, how does that work? Nonetheless, it was real. But Lucifer decided to live independently of the Father. Lucifer, Adam and Eve rejected the Father and became spiritual orphans, fatherless and banished from their home. See, orphans don't have a home. Again, James Jordan quotes here, the Father sent his Son to break down everything that stands between him and us and makes the promise, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty, 2 Corinthians 6.18. This orphanless, that is, on the whole, a human race cannot be cast out, is not in itself demonic, it's the state of the human heart. But when the human heart meets the Father, it is an orphan no more. And its orphan ways will begin to disappear. Can we say amen? The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us out of orphanness and back into sonship. Jesus came as the Son to become the way to the Father. As you grow as a son, you can know the Father more and more. He is intent on fathering us and banishing our orphan ways. So let's talk a little bit about what an orphan heart is. And this is where I, I want to kind of wrap it up. So in conclusion, as I look at the clock. So, so what does thinking and living with an orphan heart look like? Well, Jack Frost said this. He defines the orphan heart and says, the orphan spirit or the orphan heart causes one to live life as if he does not have a safe and secure place in the father's heart. He or she feels that they have no place of affirmation, protection, comfort, belonging, or affection. Self-orientated, lonely, and inwardly isolated, he or she have no no one from whom to draw godly inheritance. Therefore, he or she has to strive, achieve, compete, and do something and earn everything they get in life. Though saved, this easily leads to a life of anxiety, fears, frustration, and burnout. Do you know somebody who's been burned out? Have you? Anyway, we've kind of all traveled down that road. Not all. Someone said this, 
the orphan heart is a person where you live for God, not from God. That's super interesting to me. You see yourself as a servant before you see yourself as a son. Sonship is rooted in experiencing God's pleasure without ever having to perform. It's living from God. A spiritually orphan's heart is constantly looking for security, affirmation, love, acceptance, value, purpose, and significance because it has experienced, it has never experienced those things from the, fa- from the Father. There is little peace in their hearts. There's a constant striving. So let's, let's draw some contrasts about sonship and about the orphan heart. And remember what I said last week, if you're here, everything flows down from heaven to earth. So religion is about reaching up. Kingdom is about life flowing down. So let me just draw these out for you, and then we'll wrap it up. In sonship, we see God as father. An orphan heart sees God as master. In sonship, we live from God's love. An orphan heart lives to win God's love. In sonship, we declare God has ordained destiny over people's lives. An orphan heart focuses on people's troubled past history. In sonship, we focus on the law of love. An orphan heart focuses on the love of law. In sonship, we know that we are totally accepted in God's love and justified by grace. An orphan heart strives for the praise, approval, and acceptance of others. In sonship, we become holy by living in and from God's presence. An orphan heart strives to live up to God's demands. In sonship, we feel positive and affirmed about ourselves because we know we have value to our Father. The orphan heart feels self-rejection as a result of constantly comparing themselves to others. I tell you, I can comment on every single one of these because I have been there. Sometimes I just... I'm living in this place of sonship, and then I drift over to this place of, like, an orphaned heart. I see God as master. There's, it's called sanctification. So we're placed as sons, and we're placed as daughters, but that's a process. That's, what, that's the work of the Holy Spirit to convince us and continue to convince us that we are sons, and we don't have to carry this orphan heart any longer. That could be broken. So don't look at what I'm reading as, I'm, oh, my gosh, where am I? It's like... Look at this as a process, and we'll dive into that more next week. That that cool? All right. I'll have another whole illustration next week on what this whole thing looks like. I, anyway. In sonship, we rest and, and comfort by, we find rest and comfort by experiencing God's presence and love because he is 
the God of all comfort. An orphan heart seeks counterfeit affections, addictions, compulsions, and escapism. In sonship, we walk in humility and unity as we value others and are able to rejoice in their blessing and success. An orphan heart is filled with competition, rivalry, and jealousy toward others' success and position. In sonship, we have compassion as we seek to restore others in a spirit of love and gentleness. An orphan heart brings accusation and exposure in order to make themselves look good or better than others by making others look bad. In sonship, we see correction as a blessing and need in our lives so that our faults and our weaknesses are exposed and corrected. An orphan heart has difficulty receiving correction because of pride and security and fear resulting in a defensive posture closing oneself to any form of correction from others. In sonship, we are open, we're patient, we're affectionate as we lay our lives and agendas down in order to meet the needs of others. An orphan heart is guarded and conditional based on others' performance as we seek to get our own needs met. In sonship, we are close, intimate, and sensitive to God's presence. An orphan heart is distant, living with the sense that God ignores or is not interested in them. In sonship, we live in freedom and liberty. An orphan heart is imprisoned with bondage and fear. In sonship, we daily experience the Father's unconditional love and acceptance and then are sent to be representatives of his love to the world. An orphan heart earnestly desires some spiritual achievement and distinction and the willingness to strive for it. In sonship, just a few more. In sonship, we release and give away our spiritual inheritance. An orphan heart fights and holds on to that which they can call or have for themselves. In sonship, we are something. So we have something in order to do anything. An orphan heart has to do something in order to have something to be someone. The orphan heart is looking to do so they can be somehow more approved by God. In sonship, we primarily, an orphan heart primarily yields itself. In sonship, we primarily yield ourselves to the Lord. And an orphan heart primarily yields to the work and works hard to live for God. Sonship is about John 15. It's about being connected from the vine to the branch. This whole idea, I knew coming into this morning, I've wrestled with this pretty much all week because it's so different. But I've wrestled with this orphan heart my whole life. So when I was, when I was 17, my dad passes away suddenly. So he falls on the floor. 
I tried to resuscitate. I, I couldn't even get his mouth open. I didn't even know what. I was 17, didn't know what to do. So I, I just remember running over to my, my neighbor, and I, I, think, I said, my dad just fell over. And I, I don't know if he's alive. Well, the, my dad was a military guy. The, his next door, my next door neighbor, his name was Bob. He's a military guy. So he came running over, and he knew instantly. He couldn't even get his mouth open. He was locked. He had a massive heart attack and died. And so I, I, had to, I felt like I had to take over. Like I was, my sister was out of the house. My mom hadn't even, my mom hadn't even come through the door. She was working. We didn't have cell phones. I couldn't text her. No one could get a hold of her. No one knew any different. That's how life was back then. And so she walks through the door, and her brother is there, and I'm crying. My brother's crying, and, and she's shocked. And then she gets word that, you know, her husband passed. And, of course, she didn't believe it. And the ambulance had already taken him. So he was gone. And so, and my dad wasn't, wasn't saved. And I don't remember my dad really giving me a lot of identity. If I can remember him calling things out in me, calling out the gifts that he saw in me. Remember my mom always used to say, son, think yourself as the greatest because no one else will. That was her, because she came from a very impoverished family who had sons who kind of grabbed an inheritance and blew it, started partying and, and blew it. And so I, I got saved, but it was all about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but the Father was still distant. No one ever taught me that the Father wants to have a relationship with me. So he was the guy who kind of was running the control room. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit did the work, but the Father was distant. And so I got married to Wendy. Well, she has a generational line. Anyway, you guys know about her generational line, spiritually. I mean, she had... She has family members who travel with Billy Graham and, you know, Smith Wigglesworth and, you know, all this amazing, crazy, anointed stuff, which is phenomenal. But even then, even though Earl Johnson was amazing, such a, he, he lived the message. He, he just didn't preach the message. He lived the message. And for me, didn't have a real generational line whatsoever outside of the grace of God finding me. I didn't really have a, a, a role model of what a, a spiritual father looks like. But even then, though I saw them, we had a great relationship, and I saw how he served. He was a son who served. Saw the servant part of him, but there was just distance that I created. He tried to reach into, but I created the distance because of what happened to my dad, I think. I need a sozo. Anyway, what happened to my dad? I need a heart sink, right? So another one. Uh, what happened to my dad? So, 
so though he was he was present and we got along real well together there wasn't the full dive does that make sense there wasn't the full dive there wasn't the full exchange and and so right now what's what's happening here this revelation of the father's heart for me is is I'm um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit shines light in dark corners, and it's a good thing. You know, it's kind of like the Lord is kind of reworking the foundation for me. So this whole idea of this orphan heart has always been a part of me. Though I've grown a lot, I still find myself in this. I don't want to say I find myself in this list like this list is exclusive and all that. But I do find myself here. And for me, if you understand personality tests, because I've taken a million of them, because I've been told to take a million of them, you know, I'm an acts of service person. That's how God's wired me. Acts of service. Have you guys know that there's like the five languages of love or 15 or 30, whatever it is, the languages of love, you know. So I'm an acts of service person. So th- those kind of people are more like, don't tell me you love me, show me, you know. And so you walk into the house, is the house clean? You love me. You know? So, but Wendy's a touch person, and, and I don't know, a lot of, you know, you talk heart to heart, that one. Quality time, right? Quality time person. So the house can just be destroyed, doesn't matter, as long as she's like, has this heart to heart time, and you're just like in that place of connection and, just feel good and all that. I go, I, I have to generally have to have the house kind of picked up before I can have those kind of conversations. Do you know what I'm talking about? So it's kind of like, ah, you know? But I have to appreciate the fact that that's how God's wired me. The other thing that, and I don't even have time to go into, we're going to break some of these lies. We'll do that next week if you guys are brave enough to come back. The other thing that, that the Lord really kind of broke off me this week is this whole idea that um, I tend to be a lot more Martha than I am Mary. Am I speaking to anybody in the room? So it's almost like I kind of came under this, I wouldn't say a curse, but I kind of came under this that I'm a second class son because I'm a Martha. And the Lord, when he turned to Martha, when Martha was serving, he turned to Martha, right? And he said, what he, he said, you know, he talked about Mary and, and all this. And then I heard a couple quotes throughout the years that Martha's get more, Mary's get more done than Martha's. And I heard that, you know, Martha was, in other words, you shouldn't be a Martha. But Jesus never turned to Martha and say, why did I create you? Like, why did I make you? And so the Holy Spirit shined light on that and exposed it. It's kind of like, no, I created you. I mean, come on, we all have Martha. But anyway, I don't want to get into that message. Anyway, I don't even want to get into the lesson of that or the theology of that or draft into that passage except to say that for some people, Marthas feel like they're second class because they're not Marys. And if you don't sit at the feet of Jesus six hours a day, you're less than a, 
you're more than a Martha. Or you're less than a Martha, however it works out. So God has uniquely, I'll just say this, the Father has uniquely created you. And there's no one else like you. And that you're his masterpiece. Wrinkles, gray hair, short, tall, acts of service, kind, whatever, quality time. Hannah's is gift-giving. That's expensive. My oldest daughter is gift-giving. So when you give her something, you thought about her, you gave her that something, it's like, she's like, oh. I'm like, what is it? Is it practical? So this whole idea of the of this orphan heart and what we carry, we have residue and the Holy Spirit is He wants us to move further and further away from these things that we were were being sanctified from and into. So when I talk about being placed as a son, remember the bride is we tend to think of the bride of Christ as more feminine, obviously, and then the sonship is more masculine, but but he's taken you and he's put you in the center of these three chairs. But it's more than just being placed in the center. It's about embracing that reality and what does that actually mean? That's why we took just five minutes and we just said, okay, you're going to go into the Father's room right now. He's going to talk to you. What does he say to you? Actually, when you go in, you're actually in a huge room and the and the Son of God's there, and the Holy Spirit's there, and the Father's there, and there you are. What's your reaction to that? No, don't see me, don't. You know, do we want to hide? Do we feel joy or do we feel shame? Do we feel guilt or do we feel freedom? He already knows you, inside and out, and he loves you. He's a good dad. And the truth is, every single person, someone said this, and I believe them. I do believe, I, anyway. Every single person alive will have a father issue somewhere because we're just not perfect dads. And though I have three children and they're serving Jesus and I have four grandchildren and they're serving, well, anyway, there's three, but they all accepted Jesus and they got baptized in the Holy Spirit just last week, speaking in tongues. I love that. Good job, Andrew. He's over there, but good job. I, I'm just, I made, I made mistakes. We all did. We all have. Maybe I made a lot. Maybe I didn't make a lot. You just try our best. So we have to learn to forgive our parents. We have to forgive our parents. Because our parents are really, really, we get our, our view of God from mom and dad. And so when you start dealing with things like that, it can get really emotional. And you could tell I'm, I'm a crier. I'm a super emotional person. Pause. Wendy takes care of that side of me. But one of the things that we did 
I'm, I, I'm way over. But one of the things that we did when we were at, uh, we called it A school. It's, um, it's a week-long school that Wendy and I went to. Is that you, you wrote a letter to your dad. You wrote a letter to your parents. And you asked them to forgive you. I just would encourage you to do that. Someone else said this, and I'll, this is how I'll close. <clears throat> he said, there are so many churches in the world that are orphanages. They gather as sons and daughters of a heavenly father that they really don't know. And so we live as orphans. What do you mean? Jealousy, strife, wanting to be noticed and recognized, getting mad if someone else is recognized and you're not. Like, we have split churches. We've been part of split churches. We've had all kinds of things. We've had people jostling for position. They're not acting like sons and daughters of a heavenly father who truly loves them. Because if they did, the Lord guides the plane. He will promote you in his time. He will, you know, you can honor and love the person next to you. You really can. Once we get the revelation, and this will continue to grow, I think it'll be years, this continues to grow, is that we really can't be ecclesia unless we're sons and daughters. We can't function as the ecclesia of God unless first we get the revelation of who we are and live it. If not, what'll happen is that we'll just be doing work, 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 harvest, 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 work, 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 without the vital union of John 15. All right, I've rambled. Stand up, please. I like those keyboards, man. Well, hopefully next week, I'm going to have more chairs on the stage. And I was told not to, use the, not to use these chairs. So I'll have different chairs on the stage. Let's go ahead. Just take the hand of the person next to you. I, I know that some people feel uncomfortable with that. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. Uh, I'll call you out. No, I, will never, I would never do that. But truthfully, you're actually holding hands with a, with a son and daughter of the living God. Do you know that? And really, the foundation of, of the kingdom is family. And evangelism is all about bringing sons and daughters home. We got to reach the nations under what? It's more than just getting out of hell reach the nations so that they can come into their sonship. Something that the Lord has always wanted from the very foundation of the world. So, Father, this afternoon, we just uh, 
we just take the hand of the person on our left, our right, our brother and sister, and we just pray for the full scope of the revelation of the Father's heart. And Lord, how to live as sons and daughters. How to live, not just having great, I don't know, we make sense out of the Bible. We have great theology and we understand it theologically and our mind is yeah, and our, all this. But how do we walk this out? How, how do we live this out? How do, we, how do we do this, especially in a world that's so bent on doing something to be something? In a culture in the Silicon Valley where you have to do something to be something. This striving, this reaching, this just tiring. God, may we just be counterculture and call out the destiny and the purpose in people and let them know that they are something without really having to be anything or do anything. Just receive Jesus and find out who you really are. So, Lord, let this ignite our evangelism. Let this ignite just sharing with our brothers and sisters. Let this ignite our prayer rooms, bringing people that are lost into the sonship of the Father, where the Father's heart has always been. And so, Lord, we just pray that this revelation would grow in us, be lived through us. We pray, God, that families would be united. Moms and dads and kids would be united. We'd be drawing closer and closer to each other as there is an impartation of the Father's heart into ours. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. This is my son. All right. This is my father. Can the ministry team come up, please, if you guys are serving? The ministry team is going to be up here for about 20 minutes. Um, but just as we were closing, I'm not going to be too long because it is, it's already there. It's past the time. So um, I just want to read this passage out of Romans 8 really fast. It says, and you do not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance and folding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. Just as, as the message was going on, that just Romans 8 really stuck out to me. Um, I think one of the key factors is, is fear of us living as an orphan. Is we're, we're afraid of what it would be like to be fully known um, and to be fully seen. And so the Lord just really put that on my heart. And so... Um, there's going to be a ministry team up here. I know the time is the time is short. And so if you guys just want to stand, just where I'm going to close, I'm going to pray into that. But if that's you, if there's, if there's a fear of, of being known, that will, will always hinder us from intimacy. That will always change our approach 
when we, when we enter his presence or when we sit before him. And so if you just want to hold out your hands, Holy Spirit, we recognize that you're here. We recognize that you're good. We recognize that you're kind, Father. That you don't judge us as we're walking towards you. But you see us as your own. And you love even the things that we hate about ourselves. Or we dislike. It's a kinder word. And so I just ask God that we would we would no longer be we would no longer draw back in fear of being known or of intimacy, but we would move forward in, in perfect love. And we would move forward knowing that you see and you know. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.